Yesterday, I drove to Chicago to pick up my parents from the airport. And as I was heading there, maybe halfway or so there to Chicago, um, suddenly there is a minivan that is pulling up behind my minivan. And it pulled up and got as close as it possibly could get without actually hitting me. That drives me crazy. I hate when people want to get you to pull over so they can pass you. And one, there's somebody in front of me, so like it won't matter. Two, there's somebody on the side of me, so I can't do much. But they just like ride your bumper, and it drives me crazy. But I realized why it drives me crazy. I don't know why they're doing it. So if they could like let me know, hey, uh, my wife's in labor and we're trying to get to the hospital. I'd be like, oh, let me get out of your way. Or I should have stopped at the last rest stop. Now I really, really need to stop. Like I would get out of their way. You know? Or, hey, we're heading to Chicago because we're going to watch the Cowboys beat the Bears and we got to get there. I'd totally get out of their way. I might even help them get there. But when you don't know, it just, oh. I mean, honestly, I think I often get angry often because I don't know. Like I'm missing some information. If I knew why so-and-so did this, maybe I wouldn't get so angry. This morning, I want to help us understand two things about God and how God relates to people. And each one of them has a flip side. What might that mean for us? Because sometimes I think our struggles with God also relate to either a lack of information about how God works or maybe not just maybe not accepting it. This is who God is. And maybe it will help us in our relationship with him. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to look here at the story of Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, it's on page 1374, if you're in the Pew Bible. 1374. Two things about God that come out of this account. So I'll briefly walk us through the story itself. And then hit those two points. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew's very upfront. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So we are hearing about how our Messiah came. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And as I mentioned last week, this is a lengthy form of engagement that is more formal than engagement would be in our time. If they were to break up, they would have to be divorced. It wouldn't just be, I said yes, but since we're not married, here's your ring back, I'm out of here. No, this requires a divorce, which is why you'll see Joseph go through that thought process. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Um, That has always been interesting to me. She was found to be. Um, It doesn't really sound like she came up to Joseph and said, hey, let's sit down and have a talk. It's more like it came out. 
Oh, how would you like to hear that? Your fiance is pregnant, and here's one thing you're absolutely sure of. You didn't do it. That's what's going on with Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Um, This is a good guy. Um, We're going to talk a little more about this later on in the sermon, but this is a good guy who is both righteous and merciful. He wants to follow the law, but he also wants to respect this woman that has cheated on him, at least in his mind. She's cheated on him. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to, the son, to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, I can imagine myself having an angel come to me in a dream and say that, and when I wake up the next day, I'm really questioning whether that was an angel in a dream or not. <laughs> was that the pizza I had last night? or Because that is like something you just, Really? Are you sure? Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That was our reading from Isaiah earlier, which means God with us. We're going to come back to his response in a minute. Here's the first thing I want to say about God. God wants to be with us. And I want you to hear that, especially at this time. God wants to be with us. When it came time for God to deal with the most significant issue that the world faced, sin. How do you get rid of sin? He chose to do it by becoming one of us and having this name, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is exactly how God has been throughout the scriptures. Go all the way back to the garden. After Adam and Eve eat of the tree that they're not supposed to, what do we find God doing? He's walking through the garden. He's with them. And you see this over and over again. You've all probably heard, even if you're not sure of all the details, you've heard of the idea of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle is where God would dwell with his people. The temple becomes the permanent dwelling place where God would dwell with his people. Do you know what's happening in Revelation 21 in the new creation where there's a new heavens and a new earth? The highlight of all of it is the descent of God to be with his people. Jesus is God with his people. And then when he goes, who comes to dwell in us? The Holy Spirit. Why? So God can be with his people. Here's what we need to really grasp at all points of our life. God wants to be with us. And here is what I fear. So, Keenan and I were joking the other day about a particular Christmas song. It's a song that was written in 1933. 
It was written originally by Haven Gillespie and Fred Coots. It was written probably on a subway, on the way for these two musicians to go to where they were getting their music published. It's the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And when it was written in 1933, the publishing house would not publish it because they thought the the audience is so narrow for this, nobody's going to want to listen to this. And in 1934, there was a comedian named Eddie Cantor who had a radio show. He sang it live. Um, this was not recorded, unfortunately. It probably was worth a ton of money because after he, record, he sang this thing live on the radio, it went nuts. And since that point, just about every famous major singer from Sammy Davis to Elvis, they have all sung this song. But my son and I were just looking at the lyrics, and we have some serious questions about this song. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. He does not sound like a very nice guy to me. Like, you have no room, no margin for error. No crying, no pouting, and you better watch out, because here comes Santa. But it gets worse from there. He sees you when you're sleeping. Does that creep anybody out? <laughs> I mean, you know the song Santa Baby? I think there should be Santa Stalker. Because that's what it sounds like. He knows when you're awake. Like, it, this is just weird stuff. And, and yet, this is exactly the way I think a lot of people think about God. He's got this list And you need to do everything right. And if you don't do it right, he doesn't really want to be with you. And God is up there and he's going, oh, I caught you. And and somehow people have this vision of God as if it's God is coming to town and you better watch out. And yet what we see in scripture is that he came while we were still sinners. He came when everything was dark. He came to be with us when our, I mean, we were definitely not on the naughty list. We were on the naughty list completely, um, in bold, underlined, and he still came. God wants to be with us, and this is not a good vision of God. God loves his people and wants to be with them. And here's the flip side for us. I want you to go back into the text for a moment. Something happens that's interesting. Um, Go to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph thinks through this. Joseph gets the information. Then he goes, all right, the law calls me to do this. But if I do it in this way, it's really going to harm her. And I am really hurt right now. Like, I can't believe she would do this, but I'm not going to do this to her. Like, I, I could ruin her life. I'm going to do this quietly, and I know that's going to hurt me because here's the thing. This is an honor-shame society. And if Joseph doesn't publicly put her out, he takes on some of the shame. So he's going to take some of that on. He works all this out. And then look at the next verse. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
why not just show up? <laughs> why make him go through this? I mean, like the moment he finds out, why not show up and go, no, 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 it's okay. You need to take her. This is what happened. Instead, he lets Joseph go through the whole thought process, then shows up. Why? God wants to be with us, but God also wants us to choose him and his ways. It is very regular in the scriptures for God not to just give the answer. Because here's what God wants from his people. God wants us to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, in wisdom, and learn to choose his ways. When he's going through the garden, he says, hey, where are you guys? Does he know where they're at? Yes. <laughs> but he wants them to respond. There's a point where Jesus is working with the disciples, and it's a particular part in the Gospels where he's actually training them, and there's all of these people that need food, and Jesus looks at them and he says, you guys give them something to eat. He knows what he's going to do, but he waits to see what they will do. God wants us to learn and to grow and to learn to make decisions that are godly and reflect him. Not just always getting the answer. The scripture is filled with all of the principles of holiness that we need. But it does not cover in explicit detail every situation we will enter. But God wants us to learn and to grow. That's part of it. How many of you have heard of chat GPT? This is an AI software. And if you go type in, you can do a search for chat GT, GPT, and you can go to OpenAI website and download this. They're developing AI, artificial intelligence, that you and I can interact with right now. You can download it, and you can ask it to do all kinds of things. On the interview that I was listening to before I downloaded it, they asked it to write an NPR story on frogs. And it wrote it right out. And it was decent sounding. I mean, you, would, you could have thought a reporter wrote this thing. So I downloaded it to start messing with it. I mean, you can ask it to write poetry and essays and stories. And guess what I wrote it to? I asked it to write. Yep. <laughs> I typed in, can you write a sermon? And it said, sure. What would you like me to write it on? And I said, can you write a sermon on Joseph from Matthew chapter 1? And it came back and gave me an outline of a sermon. And it was not a bad outline. And I'm like, can you write a sermon manuscript on Joseph from Matthew chapter 1? And it did. It wrote out a sermon manuscript. And you guys are getting that sermon right now. It saved me 15 hours this week. <laughs> no, you were not. <laughs> it was not bad, but it would have been about five minutes long, which some of you might be thankful for, but... Here's the thing about the reason they're doing this. The point of AI is that it learns and grows. So it can respond. So it becomes more conversational. It wants it, they want it to learn and get better. Not to have to be programmed what to do all the time. God is the same way with his people. He gave us free will for a reason. Adam and Eve were allowed to eat of that fruit for a reason. God wants us to make decisions for him and to choose him and to grow in that. 
So, number one, God wants to be with us. Don't ever think because you've screwed a bunch of things up or it, God wants to be with you. But he also wants you to choose him. Here's the second thing about the Lord that we see in this passage. Go back into Matthew. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. God always follows through. Everything going on here is what God said would happen. Now, he said it 700 years before this. But God will always follow through. No matter how much time it might take, no matter what the odds are, what he has to overcome, he will always follow through. Whatever he has told you, whether it's in his word, maybe it's to you in prayer. God fulfills those things he says he will do. And here's the thing you need to understand about prophecy and promises. Prophecy can be God telling somebody what will happen in the future. But more often than not, that is not what prophecy is. Prophecy is God telling you what he is going to do in the future. God's not relying on a bunch of chance or things to happen in the right way. God is telling you, in his ultimate divine power, this is what's going to happen. Revelation is not God looking into the future going, all right, I'm going to tell you, these are the things that will take place. God is going to make things take place. God's promises are not things that he makes a promise and then hopes they're going to happen. They are things that God makes happen, which is why we can rely on them. Hey, imagine you're placing a bet on that Cowboys-Bears game. Now, there's a lot of things you can bet on. You can bet on the score, the over, the under. You can bet on the number of touchdowns. You can bet on all kinds of things. But in every one of those bets, even if you have inside information, you are still hoping that it turns out that way, right? If God were telling you what to bet on, it would be because he fixed it. It would be because he knows exactly what's going to happen because he's going to cause the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, to slaughter the Bears. <laughs> that was for Joe. My point, we really can trust in the Lord. And that can be really hard because every one of us have been let down. We've been let down by the people around us. We've been let down by the people closest to us. We've been let down by jobs. We probably can't number the number of times we have been let down. And sometimes it feels like God is letting us down. Because how often has God not come through when you wanted him to in your timing? How many times has God not come through in the way you might have wanted him to? We have all been let down a lot. And it makes it hard to trust even God. But that is the flip side of this. 
God always follows through, which means we, we need to trust. Look at what Joseph does. I find this incredible. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Here's why I find this so incredible. Um, Mary, in trusting the Lord in her moments, that was amazing for a young girl to do that. But we see that there's this like, I'm not sure. And she gets to go meet her cousin. And then she's like, oh, yes, this is happening. And then she gets to feel the baby grow inside of her. Joseph, the whole time, just has to trust that this is from God. That the woman that he loves didn't cheat on him. That that baby is from God himself. And he's going to take on him for the rest of his life the shame of not putting her away. It's going to affect his business. It's going to affect his friendships and his reputation. And as a guy in the first century, that was big. He also, much like Zachariah does, chooses to name the child Jesus, not what he would have named him as the tradition of his family. He gives that up. And he goes above and beyond. He does not consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. As far as we know, he was not told to do that. But he will make, there will be no mistake, this is not his child. And he will not in any way contaminate this child. This child comes from God. This man acts in total trust and gives himself over to what the Lord says. That's the kind of trust God is asking from us. And what trust looks like is no more clear than what you see in my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> I had to get it in. The Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, the reason this is so good is because you have so many little moments to laugh at. Here's Lucy. I know how you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. Charlie Brown, what is it you want? Lucy, real estate. <laughs> Here's Linus talking to Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Charlie Brown, rats. Nobody sent me a Christmas card today. I almost wish there weren't a holiday season. I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? There's so many wonderful little lines in there. But ultimately, it's the scene where Charlie Brown says, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And Linus comes out and says, I do. And he says this, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And the lights go down, and Linus is in the center of the stage, standing there. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. And in that moment, it happens. Throughout the entire show, he is carrying his blanket around. Throughout his life, he is carrying his blanket around. And everybody is always trying to get him to drop his security blanket. But he won't. He holds on to that thing throughout everything. And in that moment where he says, fear not, he drops the blanket. Then he goes on, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then he picks the blanket back up and says, That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Here's the image. Trust is when we let go of whatever it is we're holding on to that is not God. And we hold on to him. You cannot hold on to both. You're going to trust often yourself. That's what we tend to trust. My interpretations, my feelings, my fears, my experiences, my background, But if we'll drop that, and in that moment, as he's talking about what? A savior. We know he wants to be with us, and he's come to rescue us. But also to be with us from this day until you pass into glory. Dropping whatever we trust in so that we trust in him. Go watch Charlie Brown if you haven't. (laughs) Two things about God. God wants to be with us. And he wants us to choose him and to grow and learn so that we follow him. Number two, God not only wants to be with us, but God will fulfill all that he promises. God will always follow through. Now we've got to trust him by letting go of whatever's standing in the way. I hope that might help as you think about following God, knowing the things he wants, knowing who he is. When I got closer to Chicago, something happened. The speed limit goes down to 60, and the cars speed up (laughs) to 80 at a minimum. And the way I know that is because I'm driving 80 and don't realize it. And there's still people riding my tail. (laughs) Like they want to get past me. And I think, what in the world is going on? There was one person. Now it's like every third car is trying to get by me while I'm doing 80 in a 60. What is going on? And I read an article by someone from Chicago who was explaining one of the reasons everyone drives so fast. And he said... The reason we do this is because most of the time when you're in Chicago, there is so much traffic, you can't go more than 10 miles an hour at a time. 
when we get the opportunity, we go pedal to the metal because we're sick of all the traffic. I thought, all right, well, that kind of makes sense. It's still dangerous and crazy. <laughs> I'm afraid to drive there. But knowing, I don't know, it gives me something to think about at least. Maybe I'll just stay out of the fast lane so I don't have to get in their way. You know something about the Lord for this Christmas. Take it and do something with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for this season. Lord, help us to embrace you more fully each day of our lives. That we might bring you honor and glory and know the peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.